All right, so we were gone last week, but Rex went through kind of the opening to this in looking at submission. And so um, this is the, the good and the bad, the joy and the frustration sometimes of, um, of when you preach line by line out of the book of the Bible, you know, you hit topics that you're like, man, as a pastor, I would never willingly choose this first to preach out of. You know, we'd, we'd like do some small groups, a small Bible study of it, but like, you know, break it down together. You know, not, not my first choice of, of a fun passage to break down, but that's the joy of, you know, when you take a book of the Bible and you go line by line, you are forced to address scripture as, as its whole. Uh, you are forced to look at it and go, okay, what is it actually talking about? Uh, how is it understood in the context of scripture? And then how do we take that context and understand it into today's time? And so... Part of what we struggle with as we look at verses like this and we look at verses of um, women in church and different things is, is one, we have to seek to understand the biblical context of uh, there is a time and a people this was written to and what was Peter actually addressing? Who was he talking to? What was the situation that he was going over? And then for us, uh, a culture 2,000 years separated from the times of, of Scripture, what does that mean for us? And so one thing... Um, that is hard to do in kind of our, our you know, American context of church uh, is, and I've talked about this before, is we tend to get so um, focused um, because we are preaching a message today um, over seven verses. Um, so it's going to take us a total of like eight or nine weeks to go through the letter of 1 Peter. So this is a letter they would have read to the congregation all at one time. We're spending like eight or nine weeks to go through. And so sometimes you can get so minutely focused that you lose the bigger picture of what he's actually talking about. And so, um, so the first thing I just want to remind you of the context of the entirety of the letter of 1 Peter. So remember what we've talked about, 1 Peter is writing to the elect exiles. Uh, he's writing to these elect exiles um, of the dispersion. And so he's pointing out that you are people chosen by God but you don't fit in your current context. You're exiles, right? This is not your home, and you're dispersed. So a lot of times you may feel like you're alone, that you're not with your full numbers, you're not with your full crew, because you're kind of scattered everywhere. So remember, the church is not Reclamation Church. The church is not all the churches in Carthage, um, but the church is every believer everywhere. And so when you look at that context, we are dispersed. We're very dispersed um, from the global church. And a lot of times we're dispersed from... The church community in Carthage, uh, we don't have that full grasp and that full understanding what it means to be brothers and sisters, not just with those here, but brothers and sisters with every church everywhere. And so remember, that's what Paul is talking about, or Peter is talking, I keep wanting to say Paul, we talk about Paul so much, but that's what Peter is talking about in this letter. He's, he's, that's who he's addressed the church to. And so he's talking to the church and he's telling them in this letter, how do we live in exile? How do we live in exile? And so we're in um, a, about a four or five week period where he's really diving down into something we talked four weeks ago about. And that's the idea that we keep our conduct among the Gentiles so honorable that they'll look at us. And even though they may persecute us, even though they may uh, look at us and not understand what we're doing, they, they will believe and honor God. And so we can't divorce what we're talking about today from that broader context. And so as we look at this passage and we look at 
um, submission, and we look at um, Peter's statements that women are the weaker vessel. We're going to look at both of those statements in the broader context that what Peter is getting here is that above all, the church should show honor in every situation. Okay? Um, so as we look at different books of the Bible, remember, we have the benefit of the whole New Testament, not just this one letter that Peter wrote. Because um, different writers focus on different things at different times of how the church should focus on. So for instance, if we went through um, the book of James... The book of James spends a lot of time and focuses on the role of mercy in the church. That believers, we should show mercy. He says, because mercy, one of my favorite statements in all scripture, mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so John, James really jumps on this idea that above all Christians, you're going to go through persecution, you're going to go through trials, but count it joy that we're to show mercy to everyone at all times. Peter's focusing on honor. Um, Paul focuses on reconciliation. All right, you've been reconciled, so now be recon, you know, ministers of reconciliation. And he spends a whole letter talking a lot about this idea that Christians, we are, we are a reconciliation force unleashed on the world. And so does that mean um, Paul has it right that we should be ministers of reconciliation and, and Peter has it wrong that we should focus on honor or that James has it right that we should focus on mercy or uh, it's, it's all the same. So all of them point on different aspects just as I'm going to hit on different aspects of honor and submission than Rex did last week. Does that make Rex wrong and me right? No. It, it means we're looking at Scripture, and Scripture is this huge, broad context that we take and we go, well, how does that apply to this situation? Well, how does it apply to this situation? How does it apply to this situation? And so we have to understand um, a lot of times we get in trouble as a church when we take small verses and we build whole systems around that verse. So for us to take this, um, you know, wives submit to your husbands and make a whole context out of it when it's in a passage where what Peter's really talking about is honor, we can get into trouble very quickly. So we can push the text past what it is meant to do. And that's be an example of how we're showing honor. So we're gonna, I'm going to try to do all that. I'm going to try to frame it in context, give us some historical perspective to what's going on, and then pull it back at the end and really, really, okay, so how does this feed into this broader context of what Peter's talking about? Because remember, this, along with the, what Drex did last week and the weeks before, um, is the idea of we show honor to one another, and in us showing honor to one another, those who are unbelievers go, oh, man, they've really found something. Why do they act that way? I want, to, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Um, and so, so often we frame our context, we frame our theology, we frame the way we do things um, out of short verses taken out of context, taken to the nth degree, and we wonder why people look at the church and go, that's the last thing I'd want to be a part of. Um, so we're going to kind of try to deal with all of that. So let's get through the text, and then we'll kind of uh, start breaking it down. My little clicker just does not want to work at all. There we go. All right, so starting in uh, three, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be sub subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respect and pure conduct. Do not let your, your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of, uh, putting on of gold jewelry, 
or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, so there's a lot here to break down and, and here to kind of really look at. And so the first thing that I want to point us to is back in verse 1 uh, is we see this likewise. So that should sound familiar because we dealt with it last week. Um, so as he's talking about slaves and masters, he says likewise. Then he talks about women likewise, husbands likewise. And so um, basically what he's saying is um, in response to being elect exiles, you know, live this way. So slaves, live this way with your masters. Wives, live this way with your husbands. Uh, husbands, live this way with your wives. And so for one, we can't, uh, we can't lose sight of that, that word likewise because he's hinging all these statements together. And so uh, what we see a lot of times is we treat these statements very differently. So we treat the statements, uh, Peter's one of those rough contexts because um, people who like to abuse scripture to, to gain authority and power use this in a strong way of like, well, see, women are weaker, they're, they're less than, so men, we have to come in and we have to take control and we have to be in charge and da 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 And it's a complete misrepresentation of what Peter's actually saying here. And so the same likewise that says wives submit to your husband is the same likewise that connects husbands there. And so later in... Um, uh, 1 Peter 5, um, he gets to the idea of mutual submission. Submit one to all. Uh, Paul says that in his letters. And so this idea of showing honor is what we should be reverting back to as we're looking at this to kind of give us an understanding. So I would say this idea of likewise, we can go back to chapter 2, verse 12, where he's saying, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, so we're connecting back to that passage. All right, so we're connecting to, to last week with slaves and masters. So just as, as Paul's saying, or Peter's saying, slaves submit to your masters, does that mean it's okay to have slaves now? No, no. And so what he's getting at is in all situations, good and bad, show honor. Show honor. So he's saying... Likewise, with your rulers and your authorities. Were the rulers and authorities in the time of Peter good rulers and authorities? No, they were horrible, evil men who were murdering Christians. All right? But the idea is we show honor. We show honor. We allow God to be our portion, and we show honor. And so as we look at this, we, we connect back to this. So what he's talking about is in difficult situations and circumstances, Wives and husbands, right, you have to behave in such a way to honor one another because you are an example of the gospel. Right? One of the, the most readily um, 
imagery that we have in the New Testament for the relationship between God and us is the relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, Paul uses it numerous times. Peter uses it. Others use it um, to say, you know, husbands and wives is a connection to Jesus and the church, connection to how God treats us and views us. And so your, <clears throat> not just marriage, but your relationships paint a picture of the gospel. All right. The way you treat others in your relationships is a picture of how you view the gospel. Uh, so I heard a pastor say once, we're either telling the truth of the gospel or we're telling a lie. Um, so the way that I treat Michelle is a, as big of a representation of what I believe about the gospel as me standing up here and preaching from the word. Um, so I can't preach from the word uh, and treat her horribly and expect others to see that and go, oh yeah, that guy gets the gospel. You know? um, and so we have to look at uh, what's the purpose of this passage. We go back to 2.12 that we're keeping our conduct among the Gentiles honorable um, so that they may speak of us as evildoers, but they can't deny um, the goodness of God. And so uh, then we get into, okay, so what do those two words mean? So we have honor and submission that we're going to deal heavily with. Um, so honor uh, basically means in Scripture to place value on. All right? So when I honor something, I'm giving it a place of value. I'm valuing it highly. All right? So I think one of the best descriptions of what honor looks like for us as believers um, is in Philippians 2. So Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So if you want to show others honor, you count them more significant than yourselves. You live in humility. Right? So it's hard to show honor in a Christian way if you don't live in humility. If you think you're better than everyone else, you're probably not going to be able to show honor to anybody else other than you. And you're probably going to demand that everyone shows you honor regardless of how you act. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of ways we see um, people with narcissistic tendencies, that's how they act. All right? They demand honor from others. They rarely show honor to anyone around them. Um, and unfortunately, that, that really shows a poor picture of what it means to live and to serve Jesus. Um, because if we can't move in honor, if we can't move in humility, uh, we're not really following the Spirit. We're following our own flesh and our own pride. Um, so this idea of to show honor means we give someone a high place of significance. We count them more significant than ourselves. Okay? Submission comes from the Greek word uh, hypotasso. Um, so this word was a Greek military term meaning to arrange troop divisions. Um, so in a military fashion, under the command of the leader. Right? So the idea that we're, we're lining and we're ordering things up. So in a non-military fashion, um, the idea of a voluntary attitude of uh, giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So essentially, when we talk about submission, we're cooperating with one another. Right? So we take this idea of submission to a whole other extreme than what it really should mean. And so... Uh, a lot of times when we think of submission, uh, or so, so I'll, I'll say it plainly, when we think uh, wives submit to your husbands, we think uh, wives, whatever your husband says, you have to do, and that's submission. Same way in a church, I've heard it preached a lot. Um, church people, you have to do what your leaders say or you're not in submission to them. Um, that is a false representation of what submission is and what the gospel is. Um, so very bluntly put, even if we take this military term literal, um, husbands, do you really think you're the commander of the army? 
Uh, you're not. Jesus is. So you're, you're taking commands from Jesus just as your wife is. And so the idea is that we cooperate together in, in an orderly fashion to accomplish things and get things done. Um, and so as we look at this, um, so many times the way we look at submission more closely resembles the fall than Jesus. And so a lot of times, and, and this, is, this is part of the curse of the fall. All right, so in the garden, you had Adam and Eve together. Eve came from Adam, and so some people point to that. We'll see Adam's the head, but you don't see that relationship in the garden of, you know, Adam going, Eve, do this, 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 this. No, you see them together, working in the garden together under the headship of not Adam, but God, uh, working with God. And so then Adam and Eve fall into sin, and what happens as a result? So if we look back to Genesis 3... Um, they're cursed. So God goes, because you have basically rejected my ideal of the way this should operate, you're now leaving my protection, you're leaving under my wing, and so this is what's going to happen as a result of the fall. And so one of these things, it says, to the women, he, this is uh, Genesis three sixteen, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Um, so is that true? Childbearing yeah. hurts? Okay, that's what I've heard. So, um, <laughs> uh, your, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, wives, you're going to have different desires than your husband, but he's going to rule over you. So, so often the way we describe submission in the church affirms the curse of the fall, but not the honor of the gospel. Um, so if we view submission as husbands rule over your wives... Do we sound more like Jesus or do we sound more like the curse of the fall? We, we sound exactly like the curse of the fall. And we see that time and time and time again because that's our default nature that we revert back to. Why is that our default nature? Because we're, we're a product of the fall. All right? Um, so it's saying as a result of the fall, men, your default position that if you're not careful, you're going to fall back into is trying to uh, be domineering over your wife. What's the default position that women will divert back to if they're not careful? Constantly being contrary to their husband. All right? So both of those lead against honor and cause division in the home and make it really hard to get anything done. Um, and so what we have to do is go, okay, so if that's the fallen term of submission, then we need to reclaim submission um, for this idea of yeah, assuming responsibility, carrying one another's burden, um, and that we're cooperating together under the headship, under the direction of who? Jesus. All right, not the husband, not the man, but Jesus. And, and so uh, I think now that we understand the likewise, now we can get into the passage and really kind of dig into what it's saying. So verse 3, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without word by the conduct of their wives. Okay, so first thing I want to point out here is who is Peter primarily talking to? Okay, he's not primarily talking to Christian husbands and Christian wives. All right, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christian wives with non-believing husbands. All right, so before we get too far into the weeds, we need to keep things in context. Who is Peter addressing? Um, but I find it really interesting uh, that uh, it's broken down to be subject to your own husbands. 
um, because uh, one of the confusing things in Greek is the word for husbands uh, and men is the same word. It's all in how you use it. So when Paul says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, some take that to mean women submit to men. Um, so if you look in kind of super strict denominations, um, a lot of times, um, you know, like hardcore Southern Baptists and hardcore fundamentalists believe that like women shouldn't be in positions of authority anywhere, not just the home, but anywhere, because they should never have position of authority over a man. Um, but that's a, uh, that's a misrepresentation of what scripture is saying. So Peter here is making it clear, um, wives, I'm not talking about you need to submit to any guy in your life. Um, I'm talking about your husbands. Um, I'm talking about your husbands. And why your husbands? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So once again, remember this is all going back to Peter's discussion of keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that you may win them to the Lord, so that they may see God's goodness and believe it. And so this idea is not that women, you must submit to your husbands because that's your only lot in life. This is women in your freedom, submit to your husbands to be a godly example to them so that you may win them over. All right, so does that mean, women, you need to submit to ungodly conduct? No, no, that would be completely out of line with what Scripture's talking about. Um, so if you come to me and you are in abuse, I'm going to go, leave, leave now, I will come and get you. You know, you are not called to stay in abuse for any reason at all, period. And the fact that some people would take the word and make it mean that um, is crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Uh, so this is not saying wives stay in abuse. Um, this is not saying if you're in an abusive situation, not just wives, anybody, if you're in an abusive situation, you are not called to stay there to win them over. Okay? You are called to leave. You flee, you get help, you get somebody, send someone to go talk to them um, and then work through that. But you are not called to stay in an abusive situation. Um, verse three, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry um, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, uh, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. So once again, what's Peter saying here? All right, so is he saying that women, sorry, you can't fix your hair, you can't wear makeup, and you can't wear jewelry? No, he's saying don't let that be your value as a person. So adorning means uh, your, your honor, your vitality, who, you know, your value. All right, so the idea, I, I think part of this, I'm going to have to jump ahead a little bit to really explain this. Um, but the idea of the culture at the time was kind of a rough culture for women. They didn't have agency. They didn't have rights. They didn't have a whole lot, whether you looked in the Greco-Roman culture or whether you looked in the, uh, the culture of the Israelites. So in the culture of the Israelites, um, kind of in that 400-year period from the Old Testament to the New Testament, um, basically the Pharisees had come and put uh, a bunch of additional laws in place trying to make sure that no one broke the original laws. Um, so that's where you get things like, um, you know, you keep the Sabbath holy, but then there's extra laws that the Pharisees added in, like you can only walk so many steps. Um, 
And so if you walk any further than this amount on the Sabbath, then you're not keeping it holy. So they tried to put safeguards in place, but then it became more about the safeguards than the, the reason the law was there to begin with. And that was to point us to the personhood of God uh, in our lives. And so as we look at this, some of the things that happened to women during the time um, is, you know, women weren't allowed to own property. Um, they were completely controlled by their husband. A woman wasn't allowed to, you know, to petition for divorce except for under very um, strict circumstances. Um, but the man could essentially divorce his wife for any reason. Um, things like, um, you know, what we'd see is overly restrictive today. Uh, the woman had to wear a, a head covering uh, when she was out uh, and not show her head to anyone else but her husband. Uh, if her husband had a friend over for dinner, the wife wasn't allowed to sit down and eat dinner with them unless the husband said it was okay. Um, so this was the restrictive environment that Jesus comes into. Um, so the very fact that he would walk and teach women um, was insane, was blasphemous to the Pharisees at the time. Now, the Greek and Roman culture wasn't a whole lot better. Um, so kind of during that same phase where the Pharisees went super legalistic and kind of began to uh, overly subjugate women more than they had been in the past, although the past wasn't much better either uh, when you look at the history of the Israelites, um, you look at uh, like Aristotle. So Aristotle would have been around 350 B.C., so in that 400-year period. Aristotle was a gym. He had this to say. In his book, Generation of Animals, Aristotle wrote, the, the female is, as it were, a deformed male, and that because females are weaker and colder in their nature. We should look upon the female state as being, as it were, a deformity. Um, so this, is, this was the Greco-Roman, so the Greeks and the Romans, this was their view of women, um, that they were a deformed male. So they didn't have uh, as much importance or as much, they were, they were, they were trying to be a guy, but got, you know, it didn't quite happen just right. So they were, we would take pity on them. And so that we really kind of look at when we look at this idea of women being frail, we have to take into the cultural context of what Peter's speaking into. Um, but all that to say, as we look at this, um, as we look at the idea of, of wives, don't let your adornment be external, all right, but be your pure conduct. Um, man, <laughs> between uh, at the church that Peter's writing to, so a Greek church that have come from Gentiles, come from the Romans, and then we have the, the Jewish church. And so as this kind of mixed group, the women in both those groups didn't come from strong positions, didn't come from positions where they were valued for a whole lot other than their ability to make kids. Um, and so as we look at this, I think to me what's striking is not that Peter is saying, uh, you know, don't worry about makeup, don't worry about all that jewelry and all that kind of stuff, but he's speaking to their value, right? You have adornment. You have value that is not in the way you look. You have value that is not in the things you're able to buy. So I think it was important for him to say that because the culture around them, we see the, you know, the, the philosophy father of the Greek culture at the time said they were you know, deformed males. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a rough situation to be in. And so I think it's important that we look at that and go, oh man, what Peter's pointing out is not that, hey, you can't wear jewelry, you can't fix your hair, you can't wear makeup, but he's saying, don't find your value in those things, despite what the culture around you tells you. And when we look at it in that terms, I think it's very closely, uh, man, what we need today in our culture. 
Um, we need that message in our culture today of your value is not in your looks. Your value is not in your sex appeal to other people. All right? Your value is not in the things that you can buy, not in gold jewelry. But your value is internal because God values you. That's where your value flows from. So, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's, in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, uh, and you are her children if you, are, uh, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. All right, so husbands, before you go home and tell your wife she needs to call you Lord now, uh, <laughs> We have to understand what, that, what that's saying. Uh, and so the Greek word there for Lord is not what we would like say Jesus our Lord and Savior, um, but it's a formal greeting like sir. Um, so you see um, kind of the word it comes from um, in the, uh, the Old Testament, like Sarah addressed um, the servants with that same title. Um, so, it's, so it's like East Texas. In East Texas, I've been trained to address everyone as yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. I don't care whether you're older than me. I don't care whether you're a 12-year-old kid. Uh, it's been ingrained into me that I'm, I'm to respond. If you say something and I need to follow it, I'm to respond, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Um, and so, so often I get this like, oh, well, you don't have to call me sir and ma'am. And I want to be like, well, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's like a reflex now. Uh, it's harder not to say it than to say it. Because uh, it's just kind of how I, w- I was raised. And so it's a, this idea of a formal greeting showing respect. Uh, so the idea is not that the wife calls the husband Lord because he lords over her. Um, but it, once again, it's a sign of respect and honor to the, to the husband. Um, so the message that we're getting here over and over and over and over is wives show honor to your husbands. Show honor to your husbands. Um, then we get this whole thing uh, talking about the holy women of the past. Uh, now, there are a lot of times in the New Testament um, where we see this idea uh, of where they kind of revision the Old Testament and give them the benefit of the doubt in a big way. Um, so we see like, uh, you know, Paul talks about the faith of, of Abraham. So here we're talking about Sarah and Abraham. Um, uh, and Paul talks about the faith of Abraham being so great it was counted to him as salvation. Uh, you know, Abraham stumbled quite a few times. And uh, if you look in the Old Testament, the only time we see um, the Old Testament talk about Sarah's submission is when Abraham asked her to do some, like, really messed up stuff. So um, there were two different times where Abraham was traveling around with Sarah, and apparently she was a looker. Um, because his greatest fear was that whatever king they were visiting would kill him and take her as his wife. And so there's twice where Abraham convinced Sarah that, hey, when we go introduce ourselves to this king, you need to say that you're my sister, not my wife. Um, so once again, if we're using that as the example to point things back to, you know, we're in rough territory if we're talking about, you know, just a straight reading of, of scripture. Um, so I say that to say this. Remember, what Peter is getting at is honor above all, honor above all. Um, if we use this as a direct Wives, submit to your husbands and everything. You know, we have some really messed up scripture that we have to go through here and really kind of dig into uh, to address that. Yeah, 
Yeah. So as we're looking at this, the other thing I love that um, <laughs> we have so many stories in the Old Testament of women like not submitting to men uh, and, and doing so for godly reasons. We see Rahab not submitting to the king. Right? If Rahab had submitted to the king, she would have never gone in and, and, uh, and spoken on behalf of the Israelites, and they would have been wiped out. Um, or sorry, Esther. Um, Rahab was the, the prostitute. Yeah. So uh, we have Rahab going against the city leaders that she was under by um, harboring spies. Uh, we have Esther going into the king's room when she wasn't supposed to. Um, <laughs> we have the whole thing of... You know, the mom telling the son to trick the, the husband out of the oldest son's birthright, you know, uh, with, with Ishmael and Esau, you know. And so we have so many times that if we're going like, wives submit to your husband and that's the gospel law, you know, the Old Testament doesn't really paint that picture at all. Um, so if, if we can't read this straight as that, then we have to go, okay, what's the context? What is Peter actually saying here? All right. Sorry, I know I'm getting into the, the weeds with this. It's hard not to. Um, so Paul paints a picture, uh, or sorry, in this text we see this picture of submission. Um, but, but elsewhere in Scripture we see the picture painted of, of mutual submission uh, in marriage. So Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. In Corinthians, he basically tells husbands, Your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your wives. Wives, your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your husband. Um, so we get this picture of mutual submission. Why? We work together to accomplish a goal uh, with Christ as the head. So how do we explain this last little bit right here? Um, so likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, so probably a more true reading in the, in the Greek is because you are joint heirs together. Um, so the ESV gets a little kind of like male leadership sometimes, and we can see it in little verses like this, where instead of saying like men and women, you're joint heirs, it says like, hey guys, women are, are heirs with you, you know, but it still puts them first. Um, but what it's getting at is that women and men are joint heirs together. You know, Paul says there's, Neither Greek nor Jew, neither male nor female now, because we're all one in Christ. And so that's the important thing is that we're one in Christ. So how do we understand this comment of the weaker vessels? And so if you look at um, writings of the time, uh, which is often what we use to understand the Greek language, uh, we see in both a, a Jewish context, because remember in a Jewish context, women didn't have authority, they didn't have rights. That's why, like James says, pure religion is how you take care of your widows and your orphans. Because a widow without her husband um, wasn't able to own property, wasn't able to have a job. She had to be provided for because the cultural context of the day meant if she was a good, if she was a good Israelite, she could not take care of herself. She was destitute without the husband. Um, and so you see that's the Jewish context. The Greco-Roman context isn't any better and so you had a history of women, uh, when they would go to court or when they would speak for themselves, have to talk about their frailty so that they could get help. Um, and then we see kind of the Greco-Roman in, in that quote from Aristotle uh, as, as pretty rough. Of They didn't have a high view of, of women. So one, Peter is talking to the, the cultural context of the day. 
um, that we are to show honor to women as the, the weaker vessel. And so just as Paul talks about, um, we have some gifts that people think very highly of and some gifts people don't think of at all. Um, and basically his point was the gifts that people may not think highly of um, that are more hidden, he said, are the honorable gifts. And so Peter's kind of doing the same play on words here with, all right, so the culture may say women are frail. So if that's, if that's what you want to look at with the culture, then you need to show them honor because of that. Um, and so this is not a, you know, women can't speak for themselves statement. All right, this is a cultural statement of the time. Women may not have a lot of authority in this culture, all right, so we, we show them honor. We show them honor. And so essentially what Peter is doing is, whether you come from a Jewish context or a Greco-Roman context, men, you may have this viewpoint that you're able just to control your wife and she has to do everything you say. However, now that you're under Christ, now that you're under the gospel, you have to show them honor. In Ephesians 5, Paul does the same thing and says, husbands, um, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church and sacrifice for her. Um, so you're to give everything for her. So what I would argue is the question of submission never really comes into, uh, into a disagreement if husbands are living as Jesus for their wives. All right? If you're sacrificing daily for your wife, um, there's never going to be a question. So how do we live with this practically? How do we kind of take this and understand it and digest it and go, so what does this mean for, for husbands and wives? And so, one, take it back to the context. We're talking about honor. That husbands, you should live in such a way that you hold your wife as more valuable than you, more important than you, and a higher place than you. Wives, you need to live in such a way that you hold your husband as more valuable than you, more important than you, and higher than you. Why? Because we're both serving one another under the common headship of not the husband, not the wife, but Christ. Right? And so when we live in that way, we function better together. Uh, we're, we're better husbands, we're better wives, we're better parents, uh, we're better church members, we're better believers. When we live in such a way that we're always looking out for one another. Um, on a practical level, on a practical level, um, how you may view um, uh, submission and authority in the household may be completely different than me. Uh, I have fairly uh, egalitarian belief, and so generally my views of Scripture is that um, the only headship there is is the headship of Christ, that men and women, we are equal under that. You may disagree with reading, reading Scripture and believe that, you know, male runs the household. You know, I don't agree with you, but that's not a point of contention in this body of Christ. Um, but what I would say to those that if you hold to a male runs the house, right? what I have learned by counseling couples, uh, by having pretty awesome parents, by being married myself, uh, is that if you ever have to get to this discussion as a man, you're supposed to submit to my authority, you've already entered into sin before that conversation. Um, if you and your, you know, and this is not just in, uh, we're talking about husbands and wives, but this is in church leader and church member. This is in friends territory. This is in any relationship you have. If you have to get to the point where you say, respect my authority and do what I say, um, you've already crossed a boundary. You've already lost if you're having to play that card. Um, and so husbands, uh, it is on us time and time and time and time and time again to sacrifice for our wives. Um, so if we're not able to communicate with them, and sacrifice for them to the point where it blows up 
and we're having to say, no, 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 you do what I say, um, you're, you're in sin somewhere before that point to get to that. Um, so the idea is that we live with one another in such an agreeable and honorable way that the rest of the world looks at our relationships and go, they've got it figured out. We're a hot mess over here, but they've got it figured out. Uh, and I think that's one of the trouble we have today in our culture is the church, by our infighting, um, by our abuse, um, by the narcissistic authority culture that we have in the pastorate in a lot of churches, what we've shown the world is that we absolutely don't have it figured out, and we're one of the leading organizations in the United States of abuse is the church. Not just the Catholic church, it's the Protestant church. It's all of us. Um, and so unfortunately, we are not showing the world a picture right now of what honor is, of what it means to live peaceably with one another in such a way that points people to Christ. And so I would say our efforts uh, are much better spent uh, to stop arguing about who's in charge and start honoring one another and living together. All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, you are the one in charge. Uh, that you are the head of the church, Father, that you are the Lord of our life. Uh, Father, I just thank you that you love us, Father, and that you've given yourself um, so that we could have true relationship with God. Uh, I just pray that in our, our marriages, in our friendships, uh, in power dynamics in the church, um, Father, that we would be less concerned with who's in charge and more concerned with showing love and honor and mercy to those around us. Help us be that example of Christ. Uh, to a lost world. Help us be that example of Christ to our children watching us, Father, that we would show love and mercy. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, guys, sorry that was a little long. Uh, Y'all have a good week.